Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today we are discussing Season 2, Episode 14, called The Road Not Taken, written by David A. Goodman and directed by Gary S. Rake. We do have a new review this week, which comes in from Sumidian. Yay! Who starts off by saying, entertaining, fun, informative, and goes on to say, Katie and Rob do such a fantastic job. I enjoy each and every episode and can't wait for the next one to be released. If you like the Orville, this is a must listen. A highlight are some of the behind the scenes interviews. Very well produced, and I highly recommend this awesome podcast. Thank you, Sumi. Sumi's been very supportive of our podcast. And he has. I'm just grateful you still listen and like it. And um, it's, it's nice to see a review from you. If you would like to email us, you can do so by sending an email to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. If you'd like to discuss the podcast and the show itself, you can join our Discord server at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. And if you'd like access to Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Before we get into the episode, Katie has trivia. I do. I have a little bit of trivia today. But if you didn't know, the name The Road Not Taken, the title of this episode, comes from a famous poem by the poet, American poet Robert Frost. Mm. And I actually grew up in a town where Robert Frost was from. Oh. Yeah. It was near Franconia, New Hampshire. So there you go. Uh, please enjoy that fun fact about me as well. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit of a Star Wars reference in this episode. Oh, I think there's a lot of a Star Wars yeah. reference in this episode. <laughs> this episode has a very Star Wars feel. And that's what I said to Mark when we were watching. I'm like, this feels like that universe to me. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a part where Lamar knocks on the door to the resistance bunker and Yafet answers. And it's a nod to a scene from Star Wars Episode Four: Return of the Jedi, when R2-D2 and C-3PO knock on the door to Jabba's palace. Yeah, and it has that little eye droid that pops out of the door. And mm -hmm. that's very much what Yafit's doing here. According to David A. Goodman, who helped write this episode, this is his favorite episode. Oh, very different than the others, but... Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. This is also super interesting to me. The masks that are worn in the beginning of the episode mm -hmm. with Ed and Gordon are actually masks from Captain America Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, so they're <laughs> wearing definitely the, the lower part that Winter Soldier would be wearing in that movie. So I thought that was pretty cool. Also, it was a winter landscape, so it kind of worked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one guest star that we, we noticed for this episode. Maybe you all noticed it, too, when you watched. Um, Halston Stage came back as Lieutenant Alara Katan. She sure did. So, yeah, she showed up at the end of the season, kind of wrapping up the season after she departed earlier. Mm -hmm. So it was interesting to see her character in this timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. Then not very different, but more extreme, mm -hmm. more confident. Yeah. And I have some thoughts about that as we discuss the episode. So that's all the guest stars and trivia from this episode. OK. Two masked figures make their way through the snow covered forest of Saren 4, eventually reaching the remains of a union listening post. Looking for anything useful, they come across a microwave sized food synthesizer. The two grab the synthesizer and flee as a Kalon ship lands. As a few Kalon disembark, their heads detach and take flight in pursuit. The two figures make it to a Union shuttle 
and leave the planet just in time before removing their masks to reveal themselves as Gordon Malloy and Ed Mercer. This is like a very action-packed, nerve-wracking experience. The Kalon are just, it, it's very post-apocalyptic in a way, because mm-hmm. they're like hunting through this hut, trying to find supplies, and it just looked really cold. It looked really cold, and it was really strange that we get this scene to open things up with absolutely no context as to what's going on. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be a bit jarring because they take their masks off. You're like, that's Ed and Gordon and they need this stuff. And yeah, it's definitely um, unexpected. Mm-hmm. It, it it definitely sets the tone for the episode of like, this is not normal. This is not the same as what we were used to in the last episode. Yeah. And at least they, they found a synthesizer and it, it does. It made me laugh because it's like they're running with a microwave through the snow. Basically. But that's a really important thing that you would need in a post-apocalyptic future. Totally. Something yeah. to make food for you. So at least they found that. Yeah. Uh, like you said, there's a ton of Star Wars references in here, too. The masks that they wear actually made me think of stormtroopers, like the mm-hmm. voices that were coming out of them as well. Yeah. The distortion. It, it's this episode just in general feels like Star Wars So maybe that's like kind of, I don't know if this was intentional or not. One timeline that we're used to is very Star Trek-esque, and this timeline is very Star Wars-esque. I think that's completely intentional. So that's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Another Kalon ship is now tailing Ed and Gordon's shuttle, so they attempt to lose them by going inside the crevices of a nearby ice moon. They strategically fire at some of the ice formations, causing them to fall and destroy the Kalon ship. Now in the clear... They engage Quantum Drive and get out of there. That, I mean, again, Star Wars-esque, like the flying of the ship through the ice. It also looked really cool. It did. It looked super cool. Yeah. So I appreciated just the way that the whole sequence was put together. It's a really intense start for this episode. Mm -hmm. And you're also like, I'm worried about Ed. I'm worried about Gordon. What's going on? Because I believe at this point, too, Ed has like scruff. Like he has unshaven. He does. And it's a little bit like, well, wait, this is so different than the last episode. What's going on? And just as the episode goes on, it gets more and more. It unravels more and more. And I just I think this is a great way to start the episode. Yeah. Because I was already hooked right away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the um, like you said, the the flying into the ice moon was very Star Warsy. I think that's a direct reference to the Millennium Falcon going into the asteroid crater from Empire Strikes Back. Oh, definitely, yeah. Where, like, the giant space slug is that they end up flying into its mouth and everything. I think mm-hmm. it's very much that idea happening here. Yeah. It makes you worried for them right away. And I wanted to know what happened, like, immediately. I'm like, what's going on? Why is this not normal? <laughs> yeah. How much time has passed? I know. Did something happen and I just wasn't, did I miss an episode? Ed and Gordon discuss their next course of action, mentioning how difficult it is to find safety now that the Kalon have wiped out half of the known galaxy in the last nine months. They settle on the Calavon system and lay in a course. Taking a downbeat, they boot up the synthesizer and Gordon orders a Twinkie, which they share. Suddenly, a large scavenger freighter knocks them out of quantum and locks on a tractor beam pulling their shuttle on board. When the door opens, Grayson, Finn, Lamar, and Kiali step in. So out of curiosity, if you had a synthesizer mm-hmm. and the world was the way, or the universe was the way that it is, what oh, would man. be the first thing you would synthesize? I think the first craving I would have would be Oreos, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like in that kind of a situation, I would order a meal. Like, yeah. I need food in me. I'd probably do mac and cheese just because it's like comfort food, at least 
Maybe I'd try to put a vegetable in it just to make it a little more <laughs> nutritious. But I think it's funny that like Twinkies are the thing that the go to. Yeah. And Eddie's even like, you're going to get a Twinkie, but then they want to split it. So <laughs> of course I want half. Yeah. That's this is another part of the episode when they get the tractor beam into the ship. I'm like, wait, everybody's different. What's happening? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I just have a lot of questions. I'm like, what's going on? Is everything OK? Yeah. Still <laughs> no answers yet. Everybody looks mm-hmm. different. What the what? Yeah. In the conference room of the freighter, Kelly explains the situation, including how after she traveled through time, she created this alternate timeline in which her and Ed never got together. As a result, neither of them were on board the Orville, Claire never became its doctor, and her boys never bonded with Isaac, resulting in the Kalon winning the Battle of Earth. It's kind of weird that it's like the domino effect of all these things were in place to stop this process. And this is, it's now you're like, caught up and you're realizing this is what would have happened if the things with isaac didn't work out and Mm -hmm. also if ed and kelly were never together because we got that kind of bomb dropped on us at that other episode where she wakes up and refuses the date with ed Mm -hmm. so that's kind of like oh that's weird and in my head i'm like maybe nothing will come of this it'll just be just a weird little end cap that they'll revisit at some point but then the next episode we're seeing that timeline of the butterfly effect of just changing one thing about the past. Yeah. Or even, I mean, she had a lot of knowledge about what was going to happen, but she still couldn't prevent it. And that's what's crazy. It's interesting, too, that Ed's so tied into it, even though it's not really contingent on his ability as a captain. Yeah. It's more so the fact that this one, like you said, the butterfly effect, this one situation Mm -hmm. leads to this other situation, which leads to Claire's kids bonding with Isaac. So it's not directly connected to ed he's just part of that chain reaction yeah there's like all the pieces in the puzzle and just one piece doesn't work then none of them fit Mm -hmm. so it's definitely now we're all caught up and it's like oh my gosh what's gonna happen now and the kalon have killed half the universe and it's just uh, a race now to try to fix essentially what kelly did by altering the past i mean Mm -hmm. what what would you have done though like if you went back and you had all this memory of the time you were on the Orville that was supposed to be wiped. Like, you can't pretend to not have that information in your head. Exactly. Yeah, I can't I can't blame Kelly. No. For doing what she did. Even if she did go back out with Ed, mm-hmm. how would she have been able to pursue that in a normal fashion with the amount of knowledge that she had in her head? Like, she could have gone through the motions, maybe. But it still would have been off. She unconsciously would have acted and behaved different, maybe to a point where Ed would have broken up with her. Yeah, because you you can subliminally do things that you're like, but also it's kind of like lying to yourself and to this other person. Yeah. And I, I know I couldn't keep up a front like that for a very long time at all. And I was thinking about it. Like, I wonder if she would have been able to get a memory wipe in her time period or if that wasn't even really a thing. Mm. It's because it's dangerous. Yeah, they might not have had that technology developed yet. It's weird to consider this. Mm-hmm. It's not really Kelly's fault here. It's future or, or future past <laughs> times. Yeah, it's, it's Ed's fault, but not this Ed's fault because he's yeah. the one that made the decision. Just let her have whatever knowledge that she wanted when she came from the past. So now it's on him that she has that knowledge because they could have sequestered her in her quarters. Yeah. And then maybe when she went back or had the I think she was on the Orville for quite a while before they figured out what to do. Maybe for their dating. And I mean, maybe it was like at least a week, but that's too much time to 
and experiences to just forget. Yeah. Sequestering may have been better until they were sure they couldn't send her back. But, yeah. you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Claire reveals that the reason the memory wipe didn't work is that Kelly's brain is deficient in a particular protein. If they're able to time travel one more time, they can inject Kelly with the protein, perform the memory wipe successfully, and restore history to its proper path. Lamar says he has a contact in the resistance who should be able to provide them with the protein that they need. As the others leave to set course for the resistance base, Kelly apologizes to Ed, saying that she did what she thought was right to protect them both. And again, I don't think an apology was necessary here. I, I get it. I get the effort of the apology, but I really don't think this is Kelly's fault. No, I think that things intervened and led to this. I think in some ways, maybe she should have looked for a solution to lose that knowledge. But at the same time, I I don't know what I would do in a situation like that. And I just feel like you can't really I guess it's she's she's apologizing to try to do the right thing, which some people apologize too much and some people don't apologize enough. And I think she's trying to acknowledge like i'm sorry about the situation i didn't know this would happen yeah i didn't know our universe would essentially almost go extinct so maybe she feels a little bit responsible because she kind of is yeah she didn't really have a lot of time to search an alternative either it was kind of a split second thing like oh i'm back oh ed's on the phone yeah and it's when she says no you kind of walk away from that prior episode going oh wait what she remembers everything and they just leave you with that Mm -hmm. and i think that starting the episode the way that they did was really good because it does show how one thing can really alter the course of history. Yeah. Even if you intend to or not. And I know a lot of movies and TV shows have kind of touched on this, but this is like life or death. Yeah. And it's really shown what can happen. It's kind of like when Kelly was the deity on that one planet, Mm -hmm. like it changed the course of their history. So Kelly needs to stop messing with people in the past. (laughs) She's always somehow at the center of these things. Mm -hmm. Now at the planet housing the resistance, Ed, Kelly, John, and Claire head to the base. Yafit greets them through a hole in the door and allows them in. Once inside, Yafit calls for the lieutenant, who surprisingly turns out to be Alara Katan. She gives Dr. Finn a dose of the protein that they need just before the base is rattled by incoming Kalon. The away team flees from the base, leaving the resistance to fight the incoming forces. I think it's interesting. Alara's very confident and like standoffish mm. in this, which is so different than her personality was on the Orbe when she was working. She's very sheepish and like, I don't know what I'm doing kind of thing. And yeah. on this, she's just like, what's up? Also, I think they were alluding to the fact that uh, John and her may have had a history. Just saying. Sounds like it to me. Yeah, they definitely are talking about some past connection that they had. And more than just working together. Yeah. And I'm like, I I was watching it and like, I think they're alluding to the fact that they were an item. And then John did her wrong because he is a ladies man. So maybe that didn't change in the timeline. Yeah. But it is interesting that there's a resistance that it, it's, this faction is led by Alara and she is willing to stay, stay behind when stuff hits the fan to just be like, this is where I'm needed. I'm not needed on your ship. Mm-hmm. I did say it was surprising to see Alara. Yeah. But how surprising is it really? It's not. I think when you first watch the episode, you're like, oh, like she's back. And it almost feels too soon for her to be back. That's what I was thinking, because it's been it was this season that she left Mm -hmm. and it's only been nine episodes. But it works, though, for this episode because it's a different timeline. Yeah. 
I, I, it definitely works. It just mm-hmm. was. I don't know if it had the impact on me personally that they were intending on. It wasn't like it's been three years and we haven't seen this character. Yeah. And it, I mean, something must have happened still for se- the security offer situation because Tala was still security. So she must something must have happened for that to have occurred. I think things might have played out as they did. And she still ended up going home because she does talk about the gravity treatments that she's taking. Yeah. So that must have happened aboard the Orville in this timeline as well, where she would have left for that reason. Yeah. So maybe that's why they put that information in there. But I was like, something must have happened for the security situation to have shifted. Yeah. And for Tala to be there. I did also find it interesting that the away team that goes down to the resistance does not include Tala. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if it was a conscious decision to not have Tala and Alara meet each other at all, but I thought it could have been an opportunity for like a nice show of respect or like a passing of the torch moment. Yeah. So that it's just, that was something that my brain was wondering and trying to wrap itself around the situation, but Mm -hmm. it made sense for Alara to show up in this episode. But like you said, it didn't have the same kind of impact on me that I would have been like, whoa, she's back. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, because it, it did feel so soon for her to be back, but it is the, the season finale. So I do think that it was kind of like a nod yeah. to her character and to kind of bring everybody into the episode. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm thinking, was Isaac in this episode at all? His head was. <laughs> yeah, his head. But like, yeah, so that he was technically the only person who, only person, <laughs> the only um character who was not fully in the episode. Yeah, true. Once back at their shuttle. They find a lone Kalon waiting for them. Ed and Kelly quickly dispose of it, and the shuttle barely makes its way back aboard the freighter. With Quantum Drive seemingly offline, they maneuver through an asteroid field before hiding within the event horizon of a nearby black hole. That was weird, because I'm like, that just seems super dangerous, but it was neat to see from the inside the ships moving around at four times the speed, and again, anytime they do stuff with space that's outside of the ship, I am always enjoy And I think the CGI looked great in this episode again. Yeah, it looked awesome. They do a good job. They really do. I really liked Ty's quick line that he threw in where he's like, Mom, I did the tractor beam. Yeah, that is true. And like, she's like, very nice. and kind of like, like, that's not important. And I like the delivery of those lines. But it is, uh, should should Ty have been doing the tractor beam? Maybe not. But Probably not. He got a project to do and kept him busy. So made him feel important. (laughs) It was some nice, just like childlike levity in the middle of this tense situation. Mm-hmm. Inside the gravity well of the black hole, time is moving more slowly for the crew than it is for the Kalon outside. Eventually, they quit searching, and the freighter emerges two days later, which was only moments for them. They now need to make their way to what's left of Earth in order to retrieve Isaac's notes on the Aronov device from the Orville. Calculations suggest it may still be intact at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. How would they have known that? Just from, like, scans? I think think oh boy we have to headcanon a bit don't we Mm -hmm. maybe there was data in a system somewhere that was left over from the battle of earth and had the trajectory of ships and like what crashed where and then the orville's path would have taken it into the pacific ocean now how they know whether it's intact or not i have no idea so i think they're just kind of giving us an excuse for the trip also, though, the, there is some life support still on, so maybe there was some sort of weak signal coming from it. 
Potentially. So maybe the trajectory information and a weak signal from the bottom of the Pacific led them to its location. <laughs> that works. Mm-hmm. On the way, Ed sets up a makeshift second date for he and Kelly and the two catch up. Lamar spends some time examining the Kalon they disabled and discovers that most of its memory core is protected by quantum encryption codes. However, they are able to access the brain web that connects all the Kalon to one another. Yeah, I mean, this is they're just kind of breaking this stuff down bit by bit to hopefully help change the course of history, because clearly the situation where Kelly and Ed are not an item. Mm -hmm. And personally, maybe that's more of a tragedy for them. The universe is at least still one piece. And so, I mean, it's kind of impressive how they're able to, like, figure all this stuff out and work together just like they would on the Orville yeah. to come up with a solution. I think the uh, Kalon also worked differently here mm -hmm. because I don't think they have a brain web in the prime timeline because they talk to each other. They talk to each other. Isaac sends messages back and forth from the Orville like... Isaac is the only Kalon, I think, in this episode that speaks out loud in, like, English. All the others either make some sounds yeah. or they're communicating through the brain web. Maybe that was an update that came after they destroyed half of the universe. Maybe. So, like, they, they're like, okay, we can uh, update 2.5 is going to go. We're going to roll that out now. And we all have a hive mind. So <laughs> It makes sense. Why clue biologicals into your communication? Yep. It seems very plausible headcanoning. That they took some time to do some updates mm -hmm. in their murderous rampage. <laughs> so. Speaking of updates, in this timeline, their heads pop off and fly around, too, which is something we hadn't seen happen before. Mm -hmm. And just because we see it in this episode doesn't mean that going forward, they retain that ability. That could be something, yeah. again, specifically for this timeline. That is true. Arriving at Earth, they're unable to detect any life signs and find the moon mostly shattered. Gordon does manage to locate the Orville at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, and they decide that the Union shuttle and its deflectors have the best chance of reaching that depth without being destroyed. They make their way down and into the Orville's shuttle bay before decompressing it and draining all the water. It's impressive. It's still, like, inhabitable and also in one piece. A lot more functional than I would have expected. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's kind of eerie to see it at the bottom of the ocean, too. Yeah. But it's I'm very much at this point, like I'm already raptured by what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Raptured. Is that the right word? Raptured, which is in a good reference because Bioshock and rapture and yeah, underwater. I like, and I was like, is that even the right word to use? It yeah. just felt right. So I guess I did select the right one. Uh, this, too. I know I've commented on this many times, but everybody's standing in the back of a shuttle. I know this time it makes sense, though. Because there aren't enough seats in the shuttle for everybody standing up. So yeah. I guess just to be fair, we're all standing. We're all standing because no one gets to get to be comfortable. So <laughs> <laughs> also, you had mentioned last episode asking about the jets, like the exhaust ports and icing the Orville and everything. And like, when would they use that or what is that for? Yeah, this might be an instance of that. Maybe they're mm -hmm. using those exhaust ports to uh, drain all the water from the shuttle bay and push it out into the ocean. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep, that, yep. <laughs> so much is coming for a circle. And I just love that we can headcanon so much of this and also that it makes sense. Yeah. It's not just like a far-fetched like, yeah, that happened. We also don't know that we're headcanoning all this stuff, too. I mean, we are for our sake. Yeah. These are things that they definitely could have considered and just didn't mm -hmm. have the time to explore or explain. Yeah. And it makes sense, though. And that's what's the that's important. Yeah. That's the big part. 
Once on the Orville, they detect one additional life sign. They make their way to the bridge and find Bordas, who tells them he remained on board after the captain and first officer were killed to make sure that all the escape pods successfully evacuated. I was wondering where my good friend Bordas was. Then I sit there and I'm like, how was he able to survive? But he can eat anything. That's very true. I wasn't even considering that, but yeah. And he said something about meal rations, though. So in my head, too, I was like, oh, he, he's doing that. I was really sad when they said that Mockless was destroyed. And yeah. I was like, can you imagine being down there by yourself for nine months to a year? Yikes. Under the ocean? like Yeah, that's a super claustrophobic thing. Granted, I imagine it's not unlike being out in space, but space still feels open. Yeah. Even if it's all trying to kill you, just like being underwater would. I wonder if like being on like a simulation or something, if he if he could use those to feel less alone or if he was trying to stay on power and he couldn't even do that. I imagine you wouldn't be able to do that for too long. Oh, my gosh. Plus, we know Bordas has a problem with the simulator. <laughs> that I also thought about that, too. But, you know, maybe uh, I don't know. A lot of this is just kind of sad when you really think about oh, the yeah. situation. But I'm glad that they decided to go down there. Otherwise, Bordas would have died down there by himself. Uh, also, is it just me or does Bordis look a little sleeker here than normal? Like in the sense that his shoulders fell lower. Mm -hmm. The prosthetics just didn't look as cumbersome as I'm used to seeing. It's very possible that they debulked him for it because of this scenario. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't say that I super noticed it, but I I could see them doing a small detail like that to showcase that he's been surviving by himself underwater on rationing yeah. for a very long time because i wouldn't put it past the show to do something like that yeah we've talked about how careful they are about clothing choices and things like that in the past so mm -hmm. john restores partial main power and mercer and grayson take their seats on the bridge despite ed's reservations they successfully take the orville out of the ocean and back into space john finds isaac's research but it's incomplete Bordas says that he was disassembled when they returned him to Kalon, but John gets an idea. Ed and Kelly retreat to the mess hall for a drink while they wait and fantasize about a potential future together if their plan fails. I think it's just like a pipe dream romanticizing kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, if we get through this, they do seem to care about each other because they did have a date on the, the ship and they have been flirty and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just a nod to like what could have been. Yeah. I kind of took it as the show's way of saying that N. Kelly would eventually be in a relationship regardless, like it was an inevitability. Yeah, it makes sense, too. That it's like they're meant to be together. However, in the other timeline, we know there are roadblocks. But maybe if the universe is ending, that opens up a whole realm of, yeah, we might as well. But again, it's it's always a timing thing, too. Yeah. Maybe this is the right time for them. And that wasn't. Probably no Derulio. <laughs> <laughs> probably not i did though even though they're kind of they're doing this and they're hinting at this relationship the kiss still felt a little weird to me yeah like it felt a little unearned and i know this is jumping ahead a little bit too but that and ed's marriage proposal later yeah it didn't feel quite right for what the tone of the show was feels a little rushed or like he would be butthurt i think in still some ways and like you spend so many years apart Maybe that connection is just there, though. That chemistry is just there. And it's like, we might die anyway, so we might as well get married. Maybe. It just seems very fast for two people who had one date. That is also a good point. I think because of me seeing their history on the other timeline, I go, yeah, this makes sense. 
I think that's what they were lying on, even though that yeah. wouldn't be true of this timeline. Maybe it's more of like a their chemistry so strong that they're meant to be their soulmates. And so no matter what, even if it's just a date, there's something more there than just a date. So Kelly saying no was something she did and then has regretted ever since, potentially. Yeah, it's just an, it, it is interesting to think about that because I think I had canon so much that I'm like, it's just who they are. But if you really look at it from they had one date. Yeah. That is a little odd. However, I think it's just the fact that they're supposed to be so interconnected just on so many levels that you can't not think about them being together, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, even in the the normal timeline, everything they've gone through, they've been married, they've been divorced, and there's still like that attraction that hangs there anyway. Mm-hmm. The will they, won't they? Yeah. In the briefing room, Lamar tells them that he can access the Kalon network, which should allow them to get the rest of Isaac's research. Unfortunately, they'll need the full power of the quantum drive, and it would also allow the Kalon to know their exact location. In a science lab, John assesses the network and brings Isaac online. As predicted, their location is now known to the Kalon, whose ships are approaching. This is when just things amp up right away, and it's like, stuff's about to go down. Yeah, there's not much to really say about this part specifically, but this is like do or die. Yeah, they pretty much just introduced the ticking clock of like, okay, they're going to be here soon. It's got to work or we're all we're all dead. Yeah. John heads down to engineering to monitor the drive and Dr. Finn lays underneath the Aronov device, readying herself for time travel. The ship begins to shake under the stress of the drive, but Lamar needs even more power. So they divert everything they have. With the Kalon ship only seconds away and power at max levels, John reports that all they need to do is ride out the wave. Just then, the Orville explodes. Which is always sad. I feel like the Orville's exploded a couple times throughout these seasons. This is the second time, I think. And the other one was a simulated explosion. That is true. But at this point, anytime it explodes, you're like, no, 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 no. And... I think the impact is there to just hope and pray that things worked out the way they should have. Oh, mm-hmm. that would have been an awful way to end the second <laughs> season. It just explodes and goes to credits <laughs> like what? <laughs> and then the next season, it's just the or it's called the Orville, too. And it's a whole set new set of people. <laughs> just a brand new cast. <laughs> oh, man. In the past, Kelly wakes up in her apartment when she gets out of bed for coffee. She vanishes and then quickly reappears on the floor, seemingly having made the trip to the future that we already witnessed. When she gets to her feet, Dr. Finn from the alternate timeline appears to tell her that the memory wipe didn't work. She administers the protein injection, a sedative, and then the memory wipe. Shortly after, both the memory device and future Claire vanish from existence. A phone call then wakes Kelly from her bed. When she answers, Ed asks her out on a second date, which she gladly accepts. All is right in the world again, in the universe. I really like the sequence they did for this. I thought it was really well shot. And when she dropped her coffee cup on the floor mm-hmm. and just all all the bits that led up to her accepting Ed's second date proposal was really well done. And I saw some theories on the internet where people were like, maybe the memory, second memory wipe didn't work mm. and things. And I think I saw something that uh, David Goodman did say. He's like, nope, it did work. I saw the same. Yeah. So that's something where I feel like this time, this is now kind of resolved, but it leaves you walking away from season two feeling content and satisfied that there's no, some seasons like to end with cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. 
I sometimes like when they don't because it kind of gives you a little bit more of a settled feeling versus, oh my God, did that person just die? Are we going to have to wait 19 more months before we find out? And so I, I thought this was a really nice button on the end of the season. I agree. All right. What is your big takeaway from this episode? My biggest takeaway was like it had a very different feel than the rest of the season, just more so Star Wars-esque. I guess it did kind of go in line with Identity 1 and Identity Part 2, but it was a really interesting concept to explore and see almost post-apocalyptic Orville crew Mm -hmm. and experience this adventure with them that wasn't in the same setting that we're normally used to. and. I think it was a really interesting concept to give the audience as an end to the season because it is so different. And I always like things that touch on time travel and things like the butterfly effect and seeing what would happen. And I think my biggest takeaway is that Kelly should not mess with time anymore. I think Kelly needs to step back and realize that maybe just let things happen. You know, don't don't try to meddle too much. Um, If a kid cuts her face, just let her cut her face. (laughs) If Ed asks you out, just say yes all the time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think overall it's a pretty it's, it's a fun ride and you get to see almost everybody from the crew in different scenarios and different stages. And I think it, it's a good showcase of the inevitable mm-hmm. that this crew just works together well and that they work well together and they always find a way back to each other, even if the universe is almost destroyed. So they're always working towards making the future better and i i appreciated that that's just a common theme and you can explore that in different areas so i think i don't know it's a very creative season ender yeah yeah what about you what did you think i like this episode a lot too i think it was a bold choice to do something like this as the last episode of a season yeah because they did start to ask some questions in the prior episode that they didn't necessarily tackle here Like this was about dealing with the fallout of the end of that episode. But now what's next? Yeah, because we don't get any of that in this episode. So it's an interesting way to. Yes, you're ending the season, but you didn't necessarily conclude all the stories, although spiritually you kind of did with Kelly agreeing Mm -hmm. to the date once again. This episode was also really different in presentation from the others, which makes absolute sense given the fact that it's an alternate timeline. And I've always really liked alternate timeline stories. I like to see characters that I'm familiar with put in completely different situations and universes. They do it in so many different shows, and I've enjoyed it almost every time. I don't know why. I think it's just the Mm -hmm. the what-if idea that we're all exploring. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure we're supposed to drive any great meaning from this episode. I think it's just more or less an adventure that we get to go along on. Yeah. But the stakes are high. Yeah. And like you said, I, I, you know, you know how I feel about themed episodes. (laughs) This doesn't feel like a themed episode. If they were all in like the wild, wild west, I would have felt a lot different about this. But yeah, like you said, there's nothing maybe to fully draw from it, but we don't know what's happening in season three. Now we have no idea what's to come. And I think in some ways that's exciting. It is. And also makes me more anxious and I'm anticipating it because I'm like, how are they going to start the season? Like what, what's happening? I need, and like, I really want that to be now so I can, we can start (laughs) watching it and doing more podcast recordings of the episodes. So I'm excited. I'm eagerly anticipating what's to come. Yeah. The, uh, like you were just saying, the really interesting thing here and the exciting thing is that we don't yet know where we're going from here. 
Also, just because they went back and fixed things doesn't mean those things will play out exactly as they had. So they didn't prevent Kelly from going to the future. They just fixed the memory wipe. Yeah. It's totally possible that this creates a third timeline, which has some alterations that become the new normal once we get into season three. So from a creator perspective, this does allow them the flexibility to tweak anything on the show that they want to and have a valid reason for doing so, which I find very interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's something that they'll actually do or if they'll just say that this completes the loop and everything plays out exactly as it was. It all depends on what their kind of time travel logic is. I'm very, yeah, I'm very curious to see what they'll do with all, all of this. And like it does, it opens, it's like a blank slate almost in some ways for how season three can start mm-hmm. and where they can go with it. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yep. I'm very interested as well. Same. Before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do because Katie's husband, Mark, is also a big fan of the Orville and always leaves us with his one sentence review. Well, now Kelly knows that the choices we make really do have consequences. In the future! Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.